630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Blake Spears has scored for Canada. We're now just over five minutes into the second period. A 1-1 tie between Canada and the Czech Republic World Junior Quarterfinal. The winner will play Sweden in the semis on Wednesday. Sweden rolling over Slovakia 8-3 earlier today. On the other side of the draw, Russia 4, Denmark nothing. Denmark had actually finished second in their pool. And the United States beat Switzerland 3-2. So USA-Russia, the other semifinal. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in. Man, we got a fun one coming up tomorrow. The Oilers with a uh, pretty good December, 7-2-5. and We'll be visiting the Columbus Blue Jackets, who haven't lost in regulation time since November 23rd. They haven't lost in any fashion since November 26th. They've won 15 in a row. It's a 3.30 face-off show, 5 o'clock puck drop here on 6.30 Ched. And uh, if you're in Ohio, you can get it on Fox Sports Ohio and watch this guy, Jody Shelley, who's an analyst for the Blue Jackets broadcast. Jody, you're on with Reed. Thanks for making time for me, man. How are you doing? My pleasure, Reed. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. It's great to have you on the show again. I don't, I don't think we've talked since uh, last season. Now, you got to refresh my memory here. Uh, I don't think you grew up in Edmonton, but you have an Edmonton connection, do you not? That is true, yeah. I uh, My parents moved to Edmonton when I was uh, 20 years old, and uh, I stayed in Halifax, and I played major junior out there. And they settled down in Sherwood Park. They're still living there. And I used to train out there with uh, the likes of David Cooper and uh, all the boys uh, that were trained, Chris Dingman. And uh, had a great time there training for my professional hockey career. Now, I'm curious, growing up in the Maritimes, where there is not an NHL team, uh, who was the team of choice? I mean, was it still a lot of Montreal and Toronto because of the original six and the prox- and the proximity, or uh, was there a dominant favorite team out there? You know what? We were in the southern shore of Nova Scotia, and we got a lot of the Boston feeds. So I used to like the Boston Bruins. There's a lot of Montreal, a lot of Toronto, of course. Uh, I have buddies that are divided every Saturday night when it's... Uh, when there's any kind of hockey on, but uh, no, I was more of a Boston uh, Bruins fan. I like the, uh, I like Cam Neely and you know that style of play. Um, so that's when then I was out there when I was you know older. So I actually grew up on Vancouver Island until I was about 12 years old, and that was all Oilers uh, and a little bit of Canucks. It well, really well, I guess because you're what around you're in your late 30s now. I'm 40, so yeah, that would have been okay. the, the the 80s when the Oilers won the heck with care. So Vancouver Island had people jumping on the Oilers, eh? That's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> everybody did. Well, they were fun to watch, and, and they're getting uh, funner to watch. I don't know if funner is a word, more fun to watch. Sure it is. Sure it, is. <laughs> it is now. Uh, the Blue Jackets, incredible. You know what, Jody, I want to I frame this for your first comment about the Blue Jackets kind of over the last couple of years, and I brought this up. Uh, I had Bob Stoffer on the last half hour. They finished the, the 15 season with that 13-1-1 stretch, and then they go into the next year, and everybody says, uh-huh. well, they were the hot team. They're going to get in this year. 
they start poorly, they change coaches, they miss the playoffs, they pick third overall. And then this year, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, they're not that good. They're going to miss again. And now all they're all is first overall. I mean, it's ne- never a dull moment with this team. And it seems they go from one extreme to another. You know what? It, that, that's a fact. And, and it's interesting because when you make your predictions, uh, you know, you go off your emotional feeling of a team and how they ended the season two years ago. Uh, it was after having over 500 man games due to injury. And if you think of some of those injuries, uh, it, you know, it takes time. You don't just get back on the ice and you're back to where you want to be. You know, Brandon Dubinsky had double groin, double hernia surgery that year. And you don't just come back after even a 12-month span and, and feel yourself. So you put that into account. Looking back, uh, last season was full of disappointment, mostly because the acquisition of Brandon Saad, uh, the buzz around that, getting a young Stanley Cup two-time champion, and then coming off that stretch at the end of the year, you know, and having the excuse built in uh, of the injuries, last year was going to be the year, you know, and, and people love picking the dark horse, and the Blue Jackets fit that mold, you know, relentless style, uh, never give up, in your face. One of those teams that if you're paying to watch a team, uh, you leave satisfied, win, lose, or draw, because they don't, they don't quit. Uh, well, it didn't happen last year, and they got embarrassed. And now looking back, it's the same group of guys that was here two years ago, same core. Uh, you know, Sam Gagne gets picked up. The only free agent that's on this team is Sam Gagne. Eleven players are drafted. Eleven players are acquired by trade. And that one free agent. And it's just a real group that has come together. Now, the bonus, the bonus for the Blue Jackets organization is when they got embarrassed and put out last season in April, the American team went on a run of all runs and won the Calder Cup. And those kids were, uh, they had the management in the front row to watch. And if you're part of an organization that has some champions in it, things start to change. And one of the big things with that was Zach Wierenski, a young kid leaving Michigan and jumping on that team and really driving that bus all the way to a championship. Well, they couldn't wait for him to get to camp this year. And, and to have that defenseman, that one defenseman who's 19-year-old and, and has changed the look of this team, um, you don't know what it is like to have a guy like that until uh, until you get one. And it's a real treat, and it's fun for us. And it's really helped this thing turn around. Jody, I'm hoping you can expand on Gagne's impact a little bit because obviously he was here through some dark years in the Oilers. He often took a lot of heat for the team's failings, though, though I think you and I both know there wasn't uh, a lot around him at, at that time. Just tell me a little bit about his uh, impact for the Blue Jackets and why he's been able to contribute as he has been. Well, first of all, he's grown up a lot. I and mean, you got to realize now he's a 28-year-old man who's uh, you know, not – he's looking to reinvent himself. And Torts has come right out and said it a few times that he knew when he talked to Sam Gagne in the offseason uh, about coming to the Columbus Blue Jackets that he's a guy who wanted to be a part of the change in his career and help turn this around, whatever the role would be. Um, you know, he was, he was in Edmonton as a first-round pick. I think he was sixth overall. Uh, and when you come in, you want to be the man. And I think that happened a lot with those guys in Edmonton is that there's not a lot of room for all those guys, those number one guys that are used to being the man all the time. So Sam got kind of felt his way around, and we got him at the right time. He's, he's the least paid player on the, on the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's trying to prove himself again. He's playing the right wing on the fourth line and driving the power play. Uh, he's having a blast winning games. He knows the value of being on a winning team. He knows the value of scoring goals. He's dynamic with the puck. Every time he gets the puck in the offensive zone, he's a threat. And you can you can just feel the respect from the opposition when Gagne gets that puck. He's playing with Scott Hartnell, 
who's a veteran crafty player who, who can find the open spaces. Those two guys a couple of years ago would have been one of the best top two lines in the, in the National Hockey League with a good centerman, and now they're on the fourth line for the Columbus Blue Jackets and doing great things. So his impact, uh, his attitude, him taking a lesser role for the good of the team really is a huge part of what's going on here. So uh, it's been refreshing to have Sam here. And I tell you what, he, he's working hard and doing great things, but I think maturity with Sam Gagne is the biggest thing we were benefiting from him. Just update people on the World Junior game now. 2-2 Canada and the Czech Republic. Halfway through the second period, Canada went up 2-1. Quick reply by the Czechs. So uh, interesting game going on there. You know, John Tortorella, Jody, uh, I, I think for, for people in other markets, he's probably the type of guy you either love or hate. I don't know there, if there's a lot of uh, fans in the middle on Tortorella. Uh, you know, he's he's going to wear that incident with the, the dressing room between Vancouver and Calgary probably for a while. I, I, people, a lot of people really heaped on him when the United States didn't, uh, didn't advance deep at the World Cup of Hockey. I, I think he's just that guy. He draws the, he draws the criticism and, 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 you know, he has that kind of bombastic personality. That's me observing him and hearing interviews and things like that. Your take on Tortorella and dealing with him on a daily basis and his impact. Well, I, I love him. I mean, uh, he's uh, I played for him in New York for a short period of time when he was with the Rangers. And it was refreshing as a veteran player to have a, a coach that uh, just did the right thing on a nightly basis. You know, he didn't hide behind uh, big salary players and expect them to do what they were supposed to do uh, and then watch the team lose because those guys weren't ready to show up that night. He's a guy that will stick his neck out there. And he absolutely loves his players. Like He protects that locker room. He's a guy that's passionate and just so loyal to his team. Uh, he knows what it takes to win, and he demands a lot from individuals. And I think he's got this group, this Columbus Blue Jackets group, uh, playing to a level and doing things they didn't know they could do. Um, you know, And it's really fun to watch. I mean, he, he's, a, he's just a wonderful person. Uh, he, he's got a huge heart for rescuing dogs, which is, which is just a soft side of him. At the rink, he's all business, and his demands are high. But if you can win the way this team is, uh, it's, it's full respect, and, and uh, they, they just admire their coach right now. Of course, winning brings great things. But I'm telling you, he's a, at the core, he's a good guy um, that may be a little too passionate at the time. Uh, sometimes he can get be poked a little bit too much by the media. We all know that. But it's amazing to me to watch. The, we've been to Canada twice now in the past three weeks. And the respect he gets from the big-time reporters in the scrums and the way they respect his, his answers and they respect staying above the line, he demands it. Uh, and he, and he's, not a, he's not a, as you'd say, boombastic or whatever, kind of all over the place. He's a, he's, he's a very calculated guy, and, and uh, we love him here in Columbus right now. Jody Shelley, Fox Sports Ohio, joining us on Inside Sports. He is an analyst for the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Hey, Jody, i I got to ask you something about, uh, because it's been a topic that's come up a lot here in Edmonton, especially ever since Connor McDavid became an oiler. And he had, you know, he had a rugged game with Nazem Kadri and the Leafs. He had had his incidents with Brandon Manning of the Philadelphia Flyers. And, you know, Johnny Goudreau down the highway in Calgary got his got a broken finger on a slash. So there's a lot of debate about protecting stars and intimidation and all that kind of stuff. I don't know your exact stats, Jody, but I know you had more penalty minutes than points when you played. Uh, and you had <laughs> a bit of you had a bit of a <laughs> you had a bit of a role. Uh, is it has it changed 
uh, is enough done to keep the stars safe in the league, whether it's at a rules level or a player enforcement level? I, I'm just curious how you see that dynamic playing out because it, it's something when you, when you got a star player in your market like we do here, it's always going to be discussed. Yeah, you know, I think you guys were the example in the 80s of, of how this protection was supposed to be laid out. Uh, I think a little bit falls on the stars. You know, I think our guy here, Zach Wierenski, is a kid that, you know, from time to time, don't be afraid to get your stick up. Uh, don't be afraid to get an elbow up. Don't be afraid to take, a you know, a, some kind of healthy slashing penalty. You know, you can buy your own space out there. I think especially with midline players, guys that try to agitate, try to get under the skin of, of guys like that. Like, there's tough guys that won't won't go near Connor McDavid. They respect it. Uh, you know what I mean? They know they understand that that's not what they're going to do. But I think there is mid-range guys that Connor could probably back off with a nice cross check, a little high, or a, a you know some kind of slash, or, or uh, doing just just maybe once this year. You know, what I mean that's some, not something that's a focus. But I also agree that yes, the importance of Lucic and Maroon on that team. Uh, plus, you got a couple defensemen. I know Nurse is out, but he's a physical player. Uh, it's very important. I mean, if, if if he comes into Nationwide Arena tomorrow night to play the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I'm just speaking from my experience, uh, Josh Anderson's a big body out there, and if he can get a lick on on Connor McDavid, um, you know, even just to rattle him, even just to get him off his game, uh, I think that's too much. I don't think Connor should have to deal with that. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things that, you know, that's especially what Lucci should be after. Um, you know, there's, there's those moments when um, I know that Manning incident that was looked like an accident to me but you know you also don't want those things to reoccur you wouldn't want a guy to come back like that and think he's comfortable to even bring it up again so you know those things i would definitely say that that should be addressed where you know connor should know if it was an accident or if it wasn't it doesn't matter it'll be never be brought up again and that's where i feel on that i feel he should be territorial Uh, you know take care of that kid and make him feel as comfortable as as he can feel you know, I love hearing your answer because a couple of weeks ago I got to interview Phil Esposito, who's a couple generations of players even before yeah. you, and and he's and he said kind of that same thing that he said about a problem to him is that if you're coming to drill me, Jody, hypothetically, and I I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. be in that situation because I'm five eight, but you know he, Phil said when I played I could put my stick up into that guy's across the guy's shoulders. And then the next time he doesn't come at me. But he says now in this day and age, the guy who puts his stick up is the one that gets the penalty. Now, Phil's kind of simplifying a little bit there, but you're you're sort of saying the same thing. Sometimes, you know, you don't want to take a five-minute major, but you can use your stick as a bit of a, a defensive weapon, I guess, if that's the term that makes sense. Absolutely. And if, you know, that's it's not a bad thing to do because everyone takes notice. Everyone's going to see it a thousand times, and they'll say, oh, you know, like, that guy's Reed. He's just a little crazy, and I'm thinking too. I'm not going to go after that guy again so freely. Uh, he might get a stick up again. I might lose another two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just one more quickly before we wrap up. And thanks for being so generous with your time. When you would you played? I mean, I know we had Brian Marchman here in the '90s who had might snap quote unquote three or four games a year. Was there a, a, a crazy opponent or a guy that uh, wasn't afraid to? Uh, you know, get the stick up when you played that stands out? Well, he's one of them for sure. I mean, Brian Marchman was the guy that just, you know, he, he had a reputation. But it was always the guys, you know, it was always the last moment before you leave the dressing room. It's, it's interesting. The guys always talk about the guys that could lay the big hits. 
And you remember it was Johnson, or uh, it was Tutu was a guy that was always running around. He'd catch him mid-ice with that perfect hit. And it, they, there would always be that reminder that, hey, you know, Tutu is going to be running around out there like an idiot. And you just put that in the back of your mind. And, and now I think of look at that today. It's like, you know, if you have that guy, it's amazing. Everyone has their head up for him. You know, the tough guys, the defensemen, and the skilled guys, because they can change the momentum of a game and hurt you with one big hit. So you don't see that so much anymore. It's not those big open ice hits. Uh, and I think that's what it that, I can't think of any other guys, but there was always two or three. Carcillo was another one. Right. Dan Carcillo, he was in Philly for a time. And, you know, those guys that are on the edge, but will catch you if you have your head down, that that, that was the last reminder. Not, not necessarily uh, the guy that would get the stick up, but that would probably come up on the bench or, or uh, a little time before. Right on. Jody, appreciate your insight. Thanks for letting us go with uh, knowing what's going on with the Blue Jackets. And, uh, by the way, expect a close game tomorrow because the Oilers went to overtime eight of their 14 games in December. <laughs> so Wow. All right. Well, we're ready. We're excited to see the Oilers. We love it when they're in town. I mean, you got one of the best players and the young players in the world. So it uh, should be fun to watch. Jody, thanks, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Jody Shelley checking in tonight, former NHLer, now doing a great job as an analyst with Fox Sports Ohio. And a huge fan of John Tortorella and says a a very mature Sam Gagne helping the Blue Jackets. Canada now up 3-2 on the checks. Five and a half minutes left in the second period. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Inside Sports on Chet. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, so yeah, uh, 3-2 Canada leading the Czech Republic. Czechs now on the power play. 4-15 left in the second period. World Junior quarterfinal. Winner faces uh, faces Sweden in the semis on uh, Wednesday. Great to have Jody Shelley on the uh, show. I, uh, I made a joking reference to his stats in the NHL having more penalty minutes than points. 627 games. 1,538 penalty minutes, 54 points, 18 goals. Yes, uh, he played his role, knew his role, did it well. And uh, I, I did enjoy what he said about protecting stars. And he says sometimes the stars have to do it himself. And he said there's nothing wrong with Connor McDavid getting his stick up on a guy or maybe cross-checking a guy. And he says you don't have to go up there and do like Jody Bass said you do it once. You can do it once this season. And the rest of the league takes notice. Got a good question here. Uh, we were talking a little earlier about the shootouts and the shootout lineup. I got a good question about it that I'm going to get to after the 7.30 news. Time for open line, 780-496-0063. NHL action. The Blues won the uh, outdoor game, the Winter Classic, 4-1 over Chicago. Devils up 2-zip on the Bruins with four minutes left. Avalanche and Canucks still to come. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Ched. Back after the news. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Nugent Hopkins had an overtime winner in St. Louis before Christmas. He was one of several players 
have a great chance in overtime Saturday night against the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks for tuning in at 7.33. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'll be with you at 3.30 tomorrow afternoon for the Oilers face-off show. The game against the Columbus Blue Jackets will face off at 5. That'll be a good one. The Columbus Blue Jackets have won 15 in a row. A couple of uh, Eskimos notes today, by the way. Defensive back Aaron Grimes has signed a futures contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was with them on and off through this past season. Obviously, the Eskimos missed him in the secondary. And uh, also, Eskimos first-round draft pick from 2016, Tavon Smith, has signed a futures deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Basically, it's like a reserve contract, so they get to keep him uh, around on uh, their roster. Uh, Tavon Smith, uh, 23 years old from Toronto, had a really good college career with Iowa. 780-496-0063. We have Greg phoning in tonight. Hey, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, how are you doing tonight, Reed? Doing well. Great. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick comment on uh, uh, one of those uh, fantastic guys that uh, you hated uh, making those open ice hits was uh, Scott Stevens with New Jersey. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he was de- he was deadly. I mean, he was a great player. Um, clearly, some of those hits would have been suspensions nowadays. But uh, yeah, he was a thunderer guy out there. Yeah, really, I really uh, rolled things out. <laughs> anyway. Um, the other thing that I was going to comment on was uh, that area around the net is uh, really tough going. You know, those defensemen, they work hard to protect that area. And uh, this year with uh, the addition of you know, Patrick Maroon and uh, and Milan Lucic uh, uh, and a few other hardworking guys, I know that that area has become uh, more effective for Edmonton. And I, I really appreciate the work of those guys in that area. Well, uh, yeah, I think I mean Maroon has pretty good hands, and and does Lucic. But I, I had the comment that McClellan made earlier. Uh, Lucic plays a little more in a straight line. Maroon, I think, is a little better at reading plays. Um, yeah. But yeah, they've both helped. And the thing I liked about I've liked about Maroon, Greg. I mean, everybody says you have to go to the net. You have to go to the net. But it, you have to get. You have to get body position inside the defenseman. If I'm five feet from the crease, that's nice, but it's no good if I've let a defenseman occupy between me and the goalie because he's going to clear the rebound. Maroon gets right down and puts the heels of his skates on the, the crease line, right? And he got a goal earlier this year where he tipped one. can't remember which game it was. Uh, was, yeah. it, was it the one where his son got all happy? Like, he was... I he, think so. He was as close to the crease you could be without being in it. So he doesn't just he gets he gets closer than the defender, and I think that that is what helps him a lot. Yeah, and well, I mean, of course, then we had Ryan Smith that was so fantastic in that area too. And uh, you know, if we can get some of that uh, traffic in around the, the goaltender, maybe with the, the Blue Jackets, or maybe we can get a chance to uh, put a couple of uh, uh, ones past him that he doesn't see. Yeah, well, the thing is, you know, Rob Brown often says it hurts to score goals, you know, and uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of times it's the the pretty shot from the perimeter or the shot under the crossbar that might make the highlight reel if, if TSN or Sportsnet shows two of the five goals that were scored in a game, but the other three or four were often all rebounds or tips. The Oilers are better at that, and Shirelli wanted to build a team that didn't have to rely on scoring off the rush so much. They want to score off the forecheck and off the grind. I think they're better at it. I don't know if they're where he wanted want to be, but he's they're better at it for sure. Wonderful. Uh, I also noticed that uh, 
you had mentioned that uh, a couple of the uh, players were sat out for the uh, end of the third uh, last game, and uh, what's your thought on that? Uh, what's Todd McClellan been doing in that respect? Well, I, I think Cassie and Latestu and Hendricks didn't have a great game. I mean, Cassian got beat by Berchi for the goal that made it 2-1 Vancouver. Uh, you know, and I, and I know they were on the ice for a goal against against Los Angeles as well, but they also had a tougher matchup. So I think he kept rolling with them. I, I just and Cassian's been sick, so he sat those guys down. Latestu still got to play five or still got to play power play, and he got to take the shootout goal. I, I just think he he felt those guys weren't as engaged as details and detailed as they should have been. Now the whole team wasn't. But their mistakes wound up in net. And McClellan has shown he will shorten the bench. He might let you get away with a bad shift or two, but if it piles up or you keep taking penalties like guys have done this season, he will sit you down. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I don't think he embarrasses players, but he does He does let them know if they're not delivering what he wants. Well, that's good. And, you know, uh, everybody needs to come to play. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a short period, period of time, uh, uh, compared to, uh, you know, somebody that's working an eight-hour shift on a standard job. Of course, sports isn't standard by any means. No. Believe me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to, to see that that's uh, happening a little bit, and I, I'm excited for this next game with Columbus. I sure hope that uh, everybody shows up and uh, uh, gives them their best, you know, go. Right on, Greg. Happy New Year. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks a lot. Have a great night. That's Greg, 780-496-0063 is the number. You can also text 630-630. I was talking about the the shootout lineup earlier in the show because I know, it's it's funny, actually, Jay Onright, my buddy, uh, now works for Fox Sports in the States, tweeted me, and he's like, could you ask Mark Letestu if he would pick himself before Connor McDavid in a shootout? I, I said I don't I don't have a problem with Latestu leading the shootout. I, I really don't. He's over forty percent in his career. He's three for five this season. Uh, and this texture says, uh, Reed, I completely agree that the shootout lineup should be Latestu, Everly, and McDavid. Why do they change the lineup for the shootout so much? Is it being used to reward players? Okay, that's a great question. And I, I can only base this answer on some a couple things Todd McClellan has said this season. And it's an interesting debate. First of all, before I get into that, the shootout to me, as as someone who hosts the postgame show and gets to talk to all you guys after the game, and it's always emotional, the shootout to me also, be, sometimes it becomes silly because the game ends in a tie after 60 minutes. A lot of the overtimes are insane. I mean, that overtime against Vancouver could have ended eight times. There were that many good scoring chances. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, fans are going to be emotional, all that, after all that, based on how the penalty shot competition goes, right? I mean, the Oilers had that game in Minnesota when they ended five games in seven days, and they lost in a six-round shootout. And quite frankly, they played one of the guttiest games they, they played all year, and they only get a point for it. And then they almost got two against Vancouver and clearly didn't play as well as they have other times this season. So anyway, um, the shootout lineup. And McClellan made a, a pretty good explanation earlier this season when he was asked about it. And he said, you know, we had, we, I think it was after the Minnesota game when it went six deep. They had Latestu's first. He's a right-hand shot. 
Then they had Dreisaitl, who's a bigger guy, comes in left-handed. And then they had McDavid, who comes in faster. And then they use Everly, who's a right-hand shot. So the coaches... Now, you could accuse... You Probably some of you are going to say they're overthinking it. Just put the best, best guy out there. But that's their thought process, right? They're thinking of, okay, let's change up the look for the goaltender. So they may think, okay, uh, we got this guy who comes in deliberately and shoots right, and then we got McDavid who shoots left and comes in really fast. So it's a different look for the goaltender. I mean, maybe like in baseball, how sometimes a, a manager will say, you know what, today I'm just not going to worry too much about the pitcher, which which hand the pitcher throws with. I'm just going to go lefty-righty, lefty-righty, so the pitcher's changing his mindset with every batter. So the coaches do think about that. What is this guy's go-to move? How fast does he go in? Where, where does he shoot? I think that's some of the thinking that goes into the lineup. Now, the texter also said, is being involved in the shootout used to reward players? I, I will say this, maybe not so much a reward as they factor in who is having a good game. Did a guy did a guy score during the game? Has he been getting chances? Has he looked close to scoring? I think Leon Dreisettle had seven shots on goal on Saturday. So, you know, they're thinking, well, he's been firing away. Let's give him another shot and let's have him go second. Um, and I also think, and now here's an interesting one for you guys, because I can't remember who was saying it at the rink yesterday. It might have been Jim Matheson, who said, why not use Kajula in the shootout yesterday? There's a name that hasn't come up, right? But he, Jim said, why not use Kajula in the shootout? He scored during the game. And you know what it can be like. A guy who's scored feels like he can do it again. So maybe he's feeling confident. He's feeling energized. He's feeling he's like got the power. He's going to go in there on the shootout and score again. Now, if Drake Kajula would have taken the shootout Saturday and missed, it would have been like, how do you put a rookie in there, right? But but so I, I don't know if, if they use it as a reward, but I do think some coaches will go uh, with the hot hand, right? And there have been interesting choices in the shootout this season. When the Oilers beat the Islanders in a shootout back in November... John Tavares did not shoot for the Islanders. The Oilers won. Mark Letestu shot for the Oilers, and he got a goal in the shootout. So it, it, it looked brilliant. It, it's an interesting thing. Like I said, it, we, we uh, the fans often base your emotional reaction on what happens in the shootout. To me, it's and Todd McClellan has even said this. He goes to to him, the game's over at that point. You're just a skills competition, but. Would you sooner get one point or two? So the decisions of the coach become important and they become scrutinized if you don't win in the shootout. Now, if it's me with this year's Oilers team, quite frankly, I think Mark Letestu has earned the right both this year and throughout his career to shoot every time. And quite frankly, to probably go first. He does the same move all the time, but it's proven difficult to stop because he can execute it and he can snap the puck. He's, he's got a pretty good release. But for me, because of McDavid's incredible speed and his ability and his ability to control the puck, his ability to elevate the puck to the top of the net from even close in, to me, he shoots every time. And Eberle, same sort of thing with McDavid. I think he's earned the right to shoot every time. So I would probably go. I would probably go 
Letestu, Eberly, McDavid, if I'm making the lineup. You run the risk of McDavid not shooting if it's over after two. Okay, fair enough. But again, I, you, you could talk yourself into a corner on this one. So what if it's a 3-3 game and Nugent Hopkins has two goals in the game and you go to a shootout? Then do you want him shooting again, right? So what? So what if it's what if it's a three-three game? Nugent Hopkins has two goals. Eberle has one. Then do you push McDavid down to fourth if you're leaving Latesto in there, right? So, you know, it's a good question. I, I, I probably, I mean, the, the texter said this earlier that he says, you know, Reed, I agree with you. Just Latesto, Eberle, McDavid, just leave it at that every game. Coaches aren't going to look at it that way. They're probably going to say who's been producing tonight who deserves a chance to shoot, who's maybe already scored in the game, and then they factor in how fast does the guy go in, does he shoot left or right. So it's it's the selection process is maybe more complicated than some of you would like it to be. Maybe, quote, not just McClellan, but, uh, you know, other coaches, maybe they could be accused of overthinking it, but they are thinking about it. Uh, this texture says, uh, even if I didn't agree with the shootout lineup, I would respect Todd's decision if it was the same three every time. Hendricks, the time before, made me even more mad. Was that in Minnesota he shot, or was that against Tampa Bay? I think it might have been Minnesota Hendricks shot in, in the top three. He has the paralyzer. Uh, I think goalies know it's coming. He doesn't execute it with a lot of speed, which makes it a little easier to stop, but but it's interesting. That texture is saying just use the same three every time. Anyway, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. It is 747 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. So two and a half minutes into the third period, World Junior Quarterfinal in Montreal, Canada 3, Czech Republic 2. Your scoreboard presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Sweden beats Slovakia 8-3. The Canada-Czech Republic winner plays Sweden in the semis on Wednesday. The United States beats Switzerland 3-2. Russia over Denmark 4-0. In the NHL, just three games tonight. The Devils have just shut out the Bruins. 3-zip. Taylor Hall got his ninth of the season. Empty net goal for New Jersey. Vladimir Tarasenko scored twice in a minute 53 span of the third. Jake Allen stopped 22 shots to lead St. Louis to a 4-1 victory over Chicago at the Winter Classic at Bush Stadium. Sellout crowd, 46,500, sixth largest for a Winter Classic. Avalanche and Canucks play uh, starting in about 15 minutes. Gary Kubiak has resigned as head coach of the Denver Broncos because of health concerns. He held the Denver job for two seasons, was 24-11, including a win in last year's Super Bowl. Broncos 9-7 this year. They missed the playoffs. And uh, Hall of Fame basketball coach Mike Krzyzewski won't be able to coach his Duke Blue Devils for about a month. He's going to have back surgery to uh, remove a fragment from a herniated disc. Or as uh, people who don't follow college basketball know him, Patrick, Mike Krzyzewski. <laughs> that ever trip you up when you were a younger man? Uh, names? Well, just Krzyzewski. Krzyzewski, yeah. you know how it's spelled, right? If I was learning how to spell that, I would, yeah, I would have dreaded grades one through five, yeah. You know, you're, could you spell it? No. 
You know, you know approximately how it's spelled, though. Sure. <laughs> K R Z Y, Z E W S K I. Yeah, it sounds like it's spelled Shashevsky. <laughs> Mike Shashevsky, legendary basketball coach at uh, at Duke. Patrick, we're talking about the uh, Oilers uh, shootout lineup. Who, who who would your three guys be? Uh, Admittedly, I'm less. Change a- it, now, first of all, would you change it every game, or would you be inclined to have a set lineup? Well, it's like you said. You know, you got to analyze how each guy's doing and mm-hmm. whether they're hot or not. Um, I mean, but the three that they were using, Eberle and uh, McDavid and Latestu, like they're, they're hot. I mean, maybe the order's going to change game to game, but those three are the guys, right? Right. Well, they didn't use McDavid Saturday, right? So you, they use Leon. They use Latestu, Leon, and Nugent Hopkins. Oh. So yeah, that that's where the debate because a lot of people just want McDavid in there. Yeah. And I know some people said, "Don't why why is Latestu shooting ahead of McDavid?" Well, because his career numbers back it up. It's an it's an interesting debate. Um, y- you know, the Oilers of the '80s didn't have there wasn't overtime till about '83, '84. It was five on five overtime. There was not a shootout till about ten years ago. Uh, I mean, I wonder the Oilers shootout lineup of the '80s. You know, Gretzky didn't get to shoot in the Olympics. I would have had him in there most nights just because I would have had Curry going in there because he could shoot the puck. You know, Anderson, Messier, you would have had a lot of choices to go with. Uh, teams of the 90s. I mean, here's the thing. Ryan Smith, who often scored 30-plus goals, probably wouldn't have been your first choice on a shootout. No. Right? Yeah. Doug Wade I would have had. Bill Guerin I would have had. Todd Marchant was very fast. Wasn't known for his breakaway prowess, <laughs> despite getting the winner against the Dallas Stars in uh, in, in 1997. Interesting, uh, interesting little debate. The Oilers have gone to overtime. They've been tied after 60 minutes. Eight of their last 13 games, they went 7-2-5 and five in uh, in the month of December. So, game tomorrow coming up against the Columbus Blue Jackets. 3.30 for the face-off show. The puck will drop at 5. We had Bob on earlier in the show. He'll have Oilers now from noon to 2. Anton Lander has been called up from the farm. Taylor Beck sent back down to Bakersfield. Uh, Jordan Osterley has been sent back down to Bakersfield. That happened yesterday. I would expect Andre Secker to return tomorrow. I would expect Eric Griba, therefore, to come out of the lineup, if that's what happens. And Bob's saying maybe Lander plays as soon as tomorrow. Maybe for Matt Hendricks. I, I, I would think Lander is going to get into this road trip if if he is up. He, he you know Lander, sort of a tweener, produces a lot of points in the AHL. Has 21 points in 13 AHL games this season. In the NHL, just three points in 16 games. He can take faceoffs. He can kill penalties. Doesn't generate a lot offensively. Isn't overly you know physical, but penalty killing. Faceoffs, you know, skates a little better than Hendricks, so he may get the opportunity. Canada with another goal, so now they're looking good. 4-2 lead over the Czech Republic. 15 minutes left in that quarterfinal in Montreal, so they're setting up a showdown with Sweden. All right, we are uh, winding her down. Thanks for joining me tonight. I hope you had a great New Year. We did a live edition of Inside Sports tonight because there's a lot going on during the hockey season, so I appreciate everybody who uh, was along for the ride, and thanks for calling and texting. What we're going to do uh, tomorrow, this will be cool, we, we are planning on having Tom Rennie, president of Hockey Canada, who's actually leaving that role. He's going to join us on the Face-Off show coming up Wednesday on Inside Sports. You may have heard of this young man, Patrick Bauer, Warren Moon scheduled to join us on Wednesday night on Inside Sports. And proud Edmontonian, proud Oilers fan, 
Eric Johnson. We've had him on the show before. Uh, very, very well established actor. He was on the Nick. He's in that. He's in that dirty movie coming out. That Fifty Shades. What's this one called? Fifty Shades Freed. He's going to be in studio with me on Wednesday. Hopefully, there's no, you know, dirty stuff going on when he's in studio. That he just left that for the film. Your eyes say you hope that happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the checks just scored. 4-3 Canada now with 14 minutes left. Thanks to Patrick Bauer, our studio producer. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. More on the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. And you can go to the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. I had a great interview with Larry Robinson on New Year's Eve about the Canadians game against the Soviet Red Army back in 1975. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.